Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to the Faith Roots Podcast today. We're in part seven of our series called The Covenants of Promise. And be sure to hit the like button today when you are watching and subscribe to the channel if you hadn't done it already. And then every day, along with this, I send out a free email devotion, and you can get that by going to myfaithroots.com. So I want to tell you that before we get started. Ephesians 2.12, we're taking our text from that. Here is the Apostle Paul in the New Testament telling us about what a great thing it is that we are a part of a very, very old covenant. You had no connection with Christ You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were outside of God's covenants and the promise that goes with them. And Paul is telling us that that we have a wonderful heritage when we receive Jesus. A lot of people don't know about it, but let's learn about it. God promised Abram that he would be the biological father of, of the heir that would bring about this amazing family. Now, there's no promise yet about Sarah, but there is a promise to Abram. And then after he makes this promise about the son, God follows it up in Genesis 15, verse 7. He follows it up with a promise to give him the land of Canaan. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. Now, Abram did something that may seem a little bit odd here, but it must have been the custom of the day. And so God was not put off by it at all. Abram asked for a guarantee. How do I know that you will give me this land? He asked for basically a promissory note. So this is how God answered him. God answered him by calling for five sacrificial animals. God said, I want you to take a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a young pigeon, and I want you to cut them in half. And so he did. And Abram would have created a bloody pathway where you walk right down through the middle. Half of the heifer's over here, half over here, half the goat, half the ram. And, and then now the, the pigeon and the dove were not split. I'm assuming that one was on one side, one was on the other. Abram killed these sacrifices, and he did what the Bible calls the cutting of the covenant. And this made it very solemn, because when they walk through, they are saying that in order for this deal to be struck, it takes the shedding of blood. Now, it, you know... Today in our culture, there are a lot of people who are turned off by any thought of a blood sacrifice. But let me tell you why this is so very important. When you throw away the idea that there is a blood sacrifice, when you make light of that and throw that down, then in essence you are saying, and I know you don't mean this, but this is what you would be saying, you would be saying it is not necessary for Jesus to have shed his blood to forgive my sins. And that's why God used these pictures, because he was saying it takes a blood sacrifice to cleanse people. Now, a lot of people say, why is God so bloodthirsty? God is not bloodthirsty, but God is very, very protective. And let me explain something here. A lot of people never think this through. They don't think about it. When Adam and Eve sinned, 
They did it only after they were lied to and after they were tempted. There is another whole class of beings who fell into sin, but they were not tempted. They sinned willfully with no temptation and no tempter. They were the one-third of heaven's angels that fell, and they fell with Satan at the beginning. They not only are wicked and evil, they don't want to be different. There has never been a shadow of turning in any of them toward good. They are eternal outlaws and criminals. God wants to forgive mankind because mankind was tempted, fooled, lied to. So if God forgives mankind but doesn't offer a plan of forgiveness to these fallen angels, then he is completely unjust, he's unfair, and he violates his own character. God is the ultimate just judge. So here's what God does. God says, I am going to demand the shedding of blood for the sins of humans to be covered and washed away and forgiven. And he gives us a picture of this throughout all of the Old Testament with these blood sacrifices. But they stopped when Jesus came and they were no longer necessary because Jesus shed his blood. And here's what's amazing. God, in demanding the shedding of blood, doesn't demand it of you and me. We were not demanded uh, blood. Uh, our blood was not demanded to pay for our sins. He demanded it of himself. And so Jesus came and suffered all of this. And you see it amazingly pictured in this wonderful story. So Abram killed all these sacrifices. He cut them in half. He laid out the pathway between the parts. He's fulfilling the covenant. I'm reading Adam Clark's commentary on the Bible here, and I want you to see what he had to say. Almost all nations in forming alliances, etc., made their covenants or contracts in the same way. A sacrifice was provided. Its throat was cut, and its blood poured out before God. Then the whole carcass was divided through the spinal marrow from the head to the rump so as to make exactly two equal parts. These were placed opposite to each other, and the contracting parties passed between them or entered at opposite ends and met in the center, and there they took the covenant oath. Now God demanded a blood covenant. Why? Because Satan doesn't have any blood. He's a fallen angel. He has no blood at all. And so because men have blood, God sent his son to this earth to become a man with blood so that he could enter into a covenant, a blood covenant relationship with people and our sins be forgiven. That's why there is a blood covenant. Now, <clears throat> Abram had been through this ceremony before, and I'm certain that he must have cut the covenant with those three Amorite neighbors, Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre. Uh, but cutting the covenant with God was different. When Abram did all these animals, the sun went down. He's fully expecting to get up and walk through the middle of the bloody path, but God wouldn't let him do it. 
God caused a deep sleep to fall on Abraham that's very similar to what happened with Adam. When Adam was put into a deep sleep, God took a rib out of Adam and and, uh, made Eve. But at any rate, Abram was knocked out. He was completely incapable of fulfilling his part in the covenant. He couldn't walk the path and he couldn't swear on an oath. And so what God was doing is he was saying here, I am not requiring you to do the same things that I do. Your part is believing. My part is the shedding of the blood. Wow. Then God gave Abram a premonition of the suffering that was going to befall his family in the earth. Why is this? I'm telling you, Satan knows Messiah is coming through Abraham's seed. He is going to do everything in his power to shut these people down, to wipe them out, to keep them from bringing about the Messiah into planet Earth. And that's why all the baby boys were ordered by the Pharaoh to be thrown into the Nile River and eaten by the crocodiles. Satan was doing everything in his power to keep the Messiah from being born. And so God was preparing him, and he's saying, there will be an attack against your family, but it will not work. So God said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. They'll be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. Now, they weren't in total slavery 400 years. Uh, It was 400 years from this time that they came out. But I will punish the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So God let Abram know that the reason that he was going to delay this thing was because the iniquity of the Amorites was not full. Now, the Amorites were these three guys, and then there were others, but these three guys, they were Abram's friends, Mamre, Aner, Eshcol. They were Amorites. And God said, I'm not going to bring your family back and give them all the land right now because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. That's just. God is fair with everybody. God is just with everybody. When you read the Word of God, you see that... And, and, and listen, I get agitated when I hear people say, oh, stay out of the Old Testament. I believe the Old Testament serves a wonderful purpose in showing us the heart, the character, the justice of God. When you do a little bit of study, you see why He did what He did. To me, it's not a turnoff. It just shows me that much more about how fair He is and how much He loves people and all people. Now, once this sacrifice was all laid out, And the pathway was created. The Bible says in Genesis 15, 17 through 21, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now later on, that blazing flaming torch would come to Moses and the children of Israel. At night, there would be a flaming torch that warmed them in the cold desert air. In the daytime, it was a cloud that shielded him from the hot sun. But this is God manifesting in the form of a blazing torch. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant. He cut a covenant with Abram and he said, To your descendants, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Ten different people groups. And these people... I don't have time to get into it, but they weren't supposed to be there. Uh, according to the ancient unwritten uh, laws that went along with the, the oral traditions that went along with the law of Moses and so forth, the early books, 
after Moses' sons or Noah's sons came out of the ark, God divided up the earth and sent them in different directions, and the land of Canaan was supposed to go to Shem. And Canaan usurped this land. He came to a place that he was not supposed to be. So Christ becomes the ultimate sacrifice of the covenant because when he died on the cross, he's God's sacrifice. But you know what? Because he came into the family of Abraham, he is now Abraham's sacrifice. And so Abraham was not required to shed his blood, nor was his son required to shed his blood. It, it, it is a beautiful picture of the substitutionary death of Jesus. Jesus is for both of us, for all of us. He's God's son, yet he's ours too. You know, this is fascinating to me. Eighty-eight times in the Gospels, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Now, when I first read that after I became a follower of Christ, it really confused me. My thinking is, are you saying that you're not the Son of God? That's not what he was doing at all. Yes, he was the Son of God. But when he said 88 times that he is the Son of Man... He is saying, I am man's righteous representative. Even though I'm God, I'm also a man. And as a perfect man, a righteous man, I have come to fulfill God's covenant plans on planet earth. That's why Jesus is called the second Adam or the last Adam because he's only the second human being in all of history to come to the earth and live in perfection. Adam was created in perfection. Jesus came in perfection. and He was tempted like Adam was tempted, but Jesus never sinned. And that's why he is our perfect sacrifice. And so he is the perfect human being, and that's what you see. He was tempted in all points like as we are. You know, a lot of people think, well, he did all those miracles because he was a son of God. No, he didn't. He did the miracles because he was anointed of the Holy Spirit. The power that he had as son of God, he gave that up. Philippians chapter 2, he emptied himself. He had to be repowered or refilled with the Holy Spirit. He was impregnated with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized. That's what gave him the power to do the miracles. He was in perfect obedience to the Father. You know, he was the Son of God the first 30 years of his life, but he didn't do any miracles till after he was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. So we see Jesus here as a perfect example of a sacrifice and a covenant bond between God and man. And when you understand how long God has been working on this and how much detail there is in this plan and how every little part was necessary, every little detail fulfills a particular thing and you can learn so much about how God cares about us by what he shows us through the life of Abraham. Well, that's all the time I have for today, but don't miss tomorrow. We're going to just keep on drilling down into all this stuff. You know what? When we're done with this, you're going to have incredible faith because you're going to understand covenant in a way you've never seen it before. Thank you very much.